Hey guys, it's me, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. We are live on Facebook. We are live on LinkedIn. We're, we're live on YouTube. This is going to be fun. It's going to be great. Guys, if you ever struggled, guys and girls, if you've ever struggled after your military service, you're definitely going to want to listen to this and take some definitely take some notes, especially if you're a vetpreneur and a business owner. But guys, without our sponsors, the lights doesn't go on. I cannot do what I do. So I want to thank our sponsors for today. Kurt Balish of Balish Woodworks. If you guys love, 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 love uh, woodworking that's handmade for, personally for you, definitely check them out. Guys, also, if you know anybody that's struggling with any hoarding issues, it's become a big problem. And we lose a lot of first responders for people that, when they run into to build houses w dealing with hoarding issues and they can't get out and they lose a lot of lives that way. So definitely talk to Tammy Moses of the Hoarding Solution um, if you know anybody struggling with the hoard. Now, also, guys, I love coffee. I'm a big coffee freak. Um, I I'm drinking some coffee right now. I can't show you the cup I got it in, by the way. I don't want to get sued. Uh, but Soldier Girl Coffee, Carrie Marie Beavers, has an amazing coffee. Now, I drink the, the regular coffee, but she also has one that's CBD infused. So if you guys love that kind of stuff, definitely check out Soldier Girl Coffee. And she employs all veterans. So it's a veteran-owned company that employs all veterans. So definitely check out Soldier Girl Coffee. Guys, now we can get into the fun stuff. My friend Mike Demo is truly amazing a Marine, and I love my Marines because, number one, you guys have the best uniforms, 100%, no questions at all. And I love the mindset of a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. You're never an ex-Marine. So I just want to welcome to the show, Mike. How are you, brother? Dude, I'm doing better than I deserve. Um, one of the best things I ever learned from Dave Ramsey is better than I deserve. Uh, this guy, I was yeah. just going to say that. I said, you sound just like Dave. Yep. He, he helped me figure out when I was a, um, you know, E5 that I didn't need to spend all of my money from deployment immediately after I got back. So um, and I guess that's a little bit of a Quentin Tarantino, but on my first deployment, I started learning finance back in 04. And on my second deployment in 07, my fire team, you know, a bunch of Lance criminals uh, were able to save up about $70,000. Uh, from our second deployment towards like these are to put down payments on houses, pay for school, you know, have that financial buffer, get invested. So yeah, no, he, he was a great initial resource for me. Yep. And I actually went through financial peace university a couple of years ago. So Dave, if you, if you're, if you are listening, you're amazing. I might even tag you in this video, by the way, uh, <laughs> no free ads. Yeah. Uh, so talk to us, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you grew up and what kind of little boy was Mike? So I grew up in uh, Danbury, Connecticut, which some people know, some don't. If you've ever seen Alice in Wonderland, uh, the Mad Hatter character is based on the people that worked in the hat factories. Um, turns out using mercury to make hats with your bare hands, not a good long-term investment in your health. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting time um, growing up there in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, it was a town in a lot of transition. Uh, we had a lot of the Southeast Asian community uh, that came out after the Vietnam War ended, the issues in Cambodia with the genocide there. Uh, we had just a really cool array of people where uh, I was actually in my school, basically the minority of the students. Um, we had like 50 some odd different translators. I got to eat really cool food every time we do like a potluck. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it gave some opportunities to, you know, get to learn a lot about all the different people. Uh, it had some downsides, if you'll say, uh, crime related. It wasn't a great area that I was raised in, but you know, when I was a kid, um, I was like so many people nowadays, but a product of divorce. So my parents split when I was one. Uh, my grandparents actually got custody of me 
So it tells you how that started out when it mom or dad know it's your grandparents. So a little bit of an interesting start, but you know, my grandpa was my rock and you know, he gave me the core foundations for how to take care of people. Uh, I never heard him yell in my entire life. You know, he knew to how, how to have fun. He knew to how to work really hard. And, you know, some of my best memories were going in, stealing food out of his garden, you know, learning how to eat like actual good food fresh, which is hilarious because, you know, most of the foods that we made weren't really all that good for you looking back at it. But, you know, like just getting an understanding for, you know, being able to not live off the land, but, you know, having nature's bounty and being able to eat fresh. That was something. Now, really your, now your dad was a mechanic. What kind of work did your grandfather do? So interesting story with that. So my grandpa was one of six boys. Uh, they were first generation born in America. So of the six brothers, five of them opened their own businesses. And my grandpa was the one that didn't. Um, he stayed home, took care of the little farm that we had. Uh, downtown Danbury, you know, like nowadays it's a busy street, but like they had their little half acre farm that fed them. And he moved into being a laborer during uh, the second world war. And he did that his entire life where he would carry a bag of Portland cement on each shoulder. So that's 94 pounds each and up the ladder and load into the trucks to help build, you know, Stamford, Bridgeport, all those towns down there. And, you know, he'd work a second job after that. So you'd see him get up in the morning before everybody else, make breakfast for the family, head out to work, come back at the end of the day, have dinner, change, and then go to a second job. So definitely, definitely some work ethic there. And, you know, with his brothers, I got to learn, like in the in my town, the Demo family, there's a dry cleaner, there's electricians, there's a well digger, there's a plumber name a thing. And one of our family was involved in it. So learned pretty early about, you know, running businesses and doing all of that. Uh, and you mentioned my dad being a mechanic. So he went down that road. Uh, I actually worked for him in high school. And that's where my education on the pitfalls of business ownership came from, you know, not having efficient systems not having consistent systems and how that could really impact, you know, like some of my current clients, like one of the things I have a doctor that I work with and he runs a great practice as far as helping people. But he tells me like, Mike, nobody taught me this in medical school. Like when we're talking about search engine optimization, having an efficient calendaring process, like all these things. And my dad definitely did not have any of that. You know, it was, it was pretty wild. And, you know, it was hard for me, you know, 17 years old, trying to tell my dad, like, look, I, I know as a junior mechanic, you want me to go change the alternator on that Taurus. I don't know what an alternator looks like. So maybe I should be the one handling the calls, the billing and the computer systems, and you should do that. Um, you know, my stepdad, you know, he's a builder for the Gold Coast, so like your Greenwich, New Canaan, Wilton, uh, built these massive houses to perfect tolerance. And he had a lot of the same issues where he's a master of his craft, but the business systems and being an owner operator literally until the day he died on the job site, like never being able to step away from the business and actually see how it could all work. Um, you know, he told me, when you'd have me up on Saturday mornings at five in the morning to go shovel the rafters so we could put the next level on a house. It's like, Mike, you can do what I do and you'll make good money or you can own the business and, you know, grow from there. So and, then what was the decision instead of going into business for yourself, why would you join the military and why the Marines when, you know, you could have went, Air Force and been able to live the life and eat all the great balls. <laughs> so why would you join the Marines? So that's a funny conversation. Uh, the Air Force never called me back. Okay. Their loss. Um, 
<laughs> which leads to a funny story because I ended up in the air wing in the Marine Corps. Um, my GT scores were in the high 130s and the ASVAB, I had, it was like a 92, 94. I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, so don't, don't hold, don't hold it to me. I'll find my SRB later. We'll be fine. But, you know, Danbury is within an hour from JFK, LaGuardia, uh, Bradley International Airport, Westchester. So there's all these different places. And, you know, 19, 18 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew they made six figures. And this is back then. And they're like, well, it's a high stress job. Well, with the, with the upbringing that I had, trust me, stress, not, not the major concern for me. So I signed up for air traffic control. I thought, not saying recruiters lie, but they move the truth a little bit. And I signed up to be a reservist because that just seemed like a great idea. Like I can learn how to do this in the military and then go do that on the weekends. And then during the week I can do it also and just make a boatload of money. This is going to be sweet. So I go up to my reserve unit, which is uh Westover air force base up in uh, Massachusetts outside of Springfield. And I love this man to this day. Uh, then staff Sergeant Eric Frazier from West Virginia. He had an entire horseshoe lip in. We we're on abandoning housing outside of the base because the Air Force just wouldn't give us a building. And I go up to him, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Hey, Staff Sergeant, my name is Mike Demo. I'm going to be one of your air traffic controllers. And Rich, to this day, I remember that he put like a half a gallon of chew into this cup and then said, air traffic controllers. Now, we ain't got none of those around here. You're going to be an air support operator. I was like, well, I don't know what the heck that is. So, uh, cool, bro. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. My recruiter told me I'm going to be an air traffic controller. Uh, fast forward through boot camp and combat training and everybody's got their orders and they're getting split out to whichever bus they need to go to, to go where they're going. Air traffic control school is in Pensacola, Florida. And this was in March of 2001, which is spring break time frame for 19 year old Mike. That seemed like a really sweet proposition. Um, I got my orders and it was to this place called 29 Palms, which the Marines will know. Uh, if you don't know, it's a base that the army said couldn't sustain life. So they sold it to us for pennies on the dollar. Mm. And that's where I did my training. Um, it ended up being a fantastic thing, not for a civilian equivalent job, but for what the actual mission set was. Uh, it was a fantastic opportunity because I managed all of the air in the Marine operating theater. So I interacted and was the liaison between the ground side guys, the medevac groups, the air wing artillery, everything ran through me and my team to make sure that it all worked out because in the army, in the air force, they don't actively control their helicopters. So you could have your Blackhawks going through while mortar rounds are coming in. In the Marine Corps, we don't do that. We control every asset. We think, you know, little sky, big bullet. They think big sky, little bullet. Uh, funny stories about that when I was in Iraq, but that's what I, I learned how to do. And very early on, they asked me to go active and private Mike Demo knew a little bit about things. I was like, all right, so I'm going to be the lowest person on the totem pole. And if we don't have something to do, that means you're on working parties. And I did not think that'd be great. So I asked him how often we actually got to do our job. I'm like, yeah, like one week a month. I was like, well, that sounds a lot like the reserves, actually. That sounds very much like the reserves. So I'm, I'm going to do that instead. I'm going to go home and just do this one weekend a month. Um, got out of air schools in June of 2001. And I was a couple days into my freshman year of classes when the towers fell. So one, I knew that I probably wouldn't be home very often. And two, it really struck home for me that I'm going to need to lock up all the information that I can because this job is going to matter a lot. And so I dug into the books, took every additional training opportunity I could. Um, you know, actually by the time I left the military in the reserves at my rank, I was the highest proficiency rating in the entire Marine Corps in my job. So it's amazing, you know, because as we talk about on your 
uh, amazing show, by the way. Definitely people need to check out your podcast. Um, but, you know, like I, I'm sitting right now, you know, I can actually see where the towers once stood. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing, you know, how many planes I hear going over my head because of Teterboro and Newark, JFK. And when 9-11 happened, there was no air traffic. It was silence. Real quiet. And, and the silence was, as they say, the silence was deafening. So I'm sure that um, once you got that call, that the pucker factor went way up because all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're going to be bombing the shit out of some people. And they're going to need, be needing air traffic controllers and doing what you do. So what was that mindset like as you watched the towers fall, knowing what's ahead for you? It was, I mean, it was wild. I didn't have an opportunity to even volunteer to go until uh, 2003 for the initial invasion. And I volunteered for it and got turned down, which really pissed me off because you know i was a lance corporal at the time and they're like we're only taking ncos and then they took a couple lance corporals and i was just out of my mind about that but they said they didn't think i was ready and that that drove me nuts like that didn't think they were right in that and i dedicated all of 2003 to being better than everybody else in my unit at my job like just refused to do anything but have an excellent standard and got promoted to corporal. And going into 2004, there's another rotation coming up and I'd moved from a situation where I could be one of the radio net operators to doing the training to be the crew chief, to actually manage the information flow for the entire division's battle space. And I was down in, uh, they call it uh, WTI. It's in Yuma, Arizona. And it's one of the few places we can do live exercises with what we do. And there were sergeants involved, but I was picked as the crew chief for my unit. And it was absolutely a great opportunity, but it was so stressful. <laughs> and one of the things I don't tell you is because we have all the radios, we have to be in an air-conditioned communications hub, which means all of the brass wants to hang out there too because it's the desert. It's not cool. And I remember this major, like there was just noise everywhere and I was getting flustered. I was losing situational awareness and he pulled me aside. He's like, Corporal Demo, what's going on right now? I'm like, sir, what do you mean? Tell me what's going on. Because people are yelling and there's notes being passed all around inside of your system. But do people actually know what's actually happening? Do you have situational awareness? And, you know, you're 21, 22 years old, so you try to make a good answer up. And I had not a clue what was going on outside of what I could see on the boards. Like, I knew the things, but I didn't know the broader picture. Mm-hmm. And similar to what Jocko Willening talks about, where it's like, let's take a step, even just six feet or six inches back, and let's just look at it for a second and clarify. So he had me take a deep breath. What's happening? What's going on? And it all started to come back. Like the situational awareness started to fill back in. I re-understood what the operational tempo was, priority of fires. It all came back. And he's like, now what do you need to do to own this system? He's like, well, sir, there's like so much extra noise in this system because we have three times the people that are supposed to be here. He's like, well, if you don't want them here, tell them to go away. Now these are full, full bird colonels, the air wing commanders. I'm a 22-year-old corporal. And he's like, yeah, but this is your system. Own it. And it was the first time. I was like, gentlemen, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. And they left, which was absolutely wild to me that I could do that. Like, that that shouldn't happen. And then everything started to come together, and it was calm. And we were able to pass the information and our operational efficiency increased dramatically because I was able to see the picture and communicate effectively with my team. Um, Fast forward to uh, 2000 for when I went over for uh, to Iraq for OIF 2-2, the reserve component, we were essentially filling a backup role. So 
Iraq's a big area, Ambar province. Um, the main air support center was in Ramadi, about 20 miles from Fallujah. But we reach all the way out to the Syrian border, and the radios don't go that far. So in the back of a KC-130, we'd put a little communications box that we'd all sit in, and then we'd be the relay for them. About two weeks in, they realized staffing-wise they needed somebody else NCO-wise down at the main direct air support center. And we had 10 sergeants with us, a bunch of corporals, and they chose me to go down to the main hub, which is pretty wild because, you know, as a reservist, um, they were all using, you know, the budget wasn't there. So they're all using new systems I'd never seen. So I spent a week just learning how to do the most basic job and then work up to the net operator talking to the ground side and then they moved me up to being the crew chief and I had a captain that would yell a lot and was very flustered and very animated and that lesson from that major stuck through and I told the captain I was like sir I've got this like it's okay and I was able to have him stop breaking up the communications process have the information flow to me, give him what he needed. And it got to the point where we got our medevac times down by about another 10 minutes, which if you know the golden hour, you know, 10 minutes is a big chunk of that golden hour. Um, we were getting people medevaced where we had a helicopter on the on the pad at the Casavac site before the Humvee even got in to get them uh, pulled out, which was pretty wild, the efficiency we were able to create. And that was all because of being able to be calm in the face of pressure and to be able to understand the big picture and to be able to take a step back. And that's where a lot of my leadership and mentoring started because having taken that lesson in, I started teaching the active duty folks how to do that too. And I made sure by the time the deployment was over, even my PFCs could sit in my seat. And I moved over to the officer bill at the senior air director role, actually controlling the helicopters, you know, the medevacs, got to talk to U2s, all sorts of wild stuff. And the AC-130s were my favorite because they were just looking to get wet. And that was a fantastic time. Well, you know, it's like, you know, I'm listening to an audio book by a gentleman named Tim S. Grover. Yep. And he, and he talks about, you know, there's a difference between a shot maker and then there's a difference between a closer. Mm -hmm. You know, Michael Jordan was the closer or the cleaner. And when everything else was, if the Bulls were down by 30, Michael would just say, I got this. Mm -hmm. Down, let's get the plan together. I got this. And I think in business, we kind of get, we don't, we kind of worry about everything but we have to learn to be that cleaner. We have to learn to be the guy that can say. Yeah. Lost your audio there, Rich. And I think that's one of the big the successful people in business or even in the military. They're the ones that when shit starts getting heavy, they quiet down. They calm down and be like, all right, get a plan. I got this. And I think, you know, especially for, cause I'm a big guy. I, I, I love watching the show called air disasters and mm -hmm. it's amazing how much the pressure that air controllers are under 24, anytime they step on, on shift. So I give you all the props and the credit in the world. Now, how many years did you do in the military and why did you get out? So that's a, a funny story. Um, but just to add to what you just said, uh, a point that I didn't make about that, having positive control of like during the operations in Fallujah, 70 flights of aircraft in a 40 mile area is we did it all via radio and by hand on a chart. There was no radar. Wow. That, that's, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, I was a tank commander, you know, and for me, my whole thought process was, all right, I got my guy. I got my, my guys in my platoon. I never seen the big picture until yeah. one year they put me in the talk. And I'm yeah. like, that's what I used to talk to. And I'm just like, holy shit. You know, cause they have the battle plan. 
drawn out for companies and battalions and brigades. And and when like you know, like Jocko says, step back six inches or six miles, get that thirty thousand foot view sometimes. And so I, I totally understand what you're talking about. Is when you know, once you start seeing the big picture, the little stuff, you know, I, I get what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's always making sure that we look at what's important and what's urgent. Yeah. They sound similar, but they're different things. You know, things that give you a lot of energy are urgent, but is it actually the most important thing that you need to get done right now? Sometimes it's not. Yeah. Sometimes it is, and that's fine too. But do you have the ability in the moment to step back and make that assessment? And, you know, that was one of the key skills. Um, so to your other question, Rich, about when did I get out of the Marine Corps? So I ended up getting out in 2008, and there's an interesting story behind that. Um, in 2007, I'd, you know, I'd been, you know, on the reserve side. Like, there's no jobs, by the way, if you don't have a college degree, even back then. Like, so I got back from Iraq, and all I could get was a job at the mall. I tried doing painting houses for 10 bucks an hour until the dude stiffed me, and that was that. So I went to work uh selling kitchen cutlery a company called cutco vector marketing yep and the manager there john wasserman is still one of my mentors you know 15 20 years on um since i first met him and i sat down with him there's a bunch of you know early college people i'm 22 20 and i just told him i was like look i want to be sitting where you're sitting like i'll do the sales job that's fine but i want to do what you do because i want to make a bigger impact and within the first 30 days, I'd qualified for the President's Council, which is out of a quarter million sales reps, your top 5%. Um, within three months, I was promoted to assistant manager and then the pilot sales manager basically running his office while he ran the division. Um, I was doing that. And then there's a little bit of FOMA. We were doing another deployment, going to Africa to do uh, security in Djibouti. Uh, it's a real country for those that don't know. Yep. I don't recommend it as a um, a spot to visit, but it's there. It's just above Somalia. And, you know, it's that leadership mentality of I've been training my folks and if they're going to go over, I'm going with them because I've, you know, I've been mortared. I've been rocketed. I've had snipers shoot at me. Whatever's going to come, I want to be there to be able to help them. Mm -hmm. And it was a hodgepodge unit put together of, basically different air wing people. And right off the bat, I knew things weren't going well when I was the senior sergeant at that time, uh, platoon sergeant. And I ended up just being a uh, fire team leader. And the people above me, they didn't follow the same ethos, if you'll say. Uh, there was a lot of lack of integrity, which when you take it serious, that's that's something that just isn't, you, you can't have that. Um, like we had issues where there were negligent discharges and there was nothing done about it because it was the executive officer, for example. Um, and, you know, and that's one of the things where you either have integrity or you don't, it's not a option of maybe like you do or you don't. And the way that they treated my men wasn't something that I felt comfortable with. There was a lot of things that were done to get people medals instead of doing the right thing. And I say, in hindsight, you know, they say, if there's a problem, go talk to somebody. And that's what ended my career. Uh, my unit had me up for a reset position. So reserved and listening commissioning program, because I was a couple months away from uh, graduating college and the Navy doctors misdiagnosed uh, PTSD as bipolar, which eliminated my ability to participate in the Marine Corps. And I went from literally up for meritorious staff and then also a reset position to being told to, you know, you're out of the Marine Corps within two days. Didn't even get it properly done. DD-214, nothing, no medical exams. You're just out. So... That that's how that went down in a blaze of glory. And you know, that ties back to you know with transitioning. 
needing to have that good tribe. I had a tribe that got ripped away from me and it was something based on my childhood that was extremely stressful and name a thing that's not good for you. And I probably did it in the process, whether it's, you know, drink way too much, um, you know, fornicate, name, name a thing like this. This is a somewhat PC show, but like I went down a dark rabbit hole and I didn't even know that I was burning into the ground, it, you know, and it was just a struggle and a fight. And that went on for years. It ended up destroying a marriage. It, just name a thing. It's only been the last couple of years where like I hired a coach and because the VA therapy hadn't worked, you know, they're just trying to medicate and that doesn't actually fix anything. Uh, but I found a great coach named Ryan Nidell and he walked me through an entire protocol and, you know, helped me rediscover my passions and what I'm best at. And, you know, I'd been in a mentorship role to hundreds of people prior to 2018, but it's with his guidance that I started helping transitioning veterans that might've gone through the same things or a similar thing that I had. And he's the one that encouraged me to take that talent and move into helping business owners. Yeah. My, yeah. Good. I've, you know, on the show, I've, I think we're up to like 380 episodes or something stupid. Um, I've interviewed hundreds of veterans and a lot of them say the same thing, you know, like my friend, Sergeant Nick talks about, you know, once you step off base, the military does not give a shit about you. Um, the phone stops ringing, mm -hmm. you lose your mission, you, you know, you lose the camaraderie and then all of a sudden, you know, you lost your job. So you don't have money coming in either. So really you're on an Island by yourself. And, you know, that's when, like, for me, it went bad. Um, I got into exactly what you're talking about. It, it was a bad situation. And a lot of people that get out, you know, they struggle. And then they'll be like, all right, well, I, do, I don't fit into the mold of an employee. Because, you know, like for in the military, you, you don't check in at eight and check out at five. You work till you're done. You work till you're done. And a lot of in military personnel, they can't work in a regular job. So they want to start their own business, you know, so they're going to start a T-shirt company, hat company, liquor, coffee, whatever. Yep. But, you know, they don't have a plan. You know, like my friend Stephen Eugene Kuhn always says, if you don't have a plan, business plan, you don't have a business, you have a hobby. And one thing the military teaches us is an SOP, standard operation and procedures, you know, having a plan. And I think a lot of times when we get out of the military, we just wing it. And then six months later, we're 10 grand in debt. Don't know what the hell just happened. So yep. what has been your experiences with people that have, you know, including yourself that have transitioned out and then tried to get into business? So for me personally, I tried to outwork my lack of knowledge. And, you know, that's fine. It, you know, I, I swear to you, I succeeded somehow by the grace of God in spite of myself. Um, you know, the things that I didn't know about myself that were causing the issues that I had, like, without any knowledge of all that, like, I still ran a nationally ranked office for Cutco, which is wild. Like, I was able to impact hundreds of reps, you know, helping them like some of them even open up their first offices themselves at 18, 19 years old. Um, they won scholarships. They became part of president's club. And like, there's people from 2006 when I'd started working with them that I'm still friends with, but you know, it's one of those things where that's where I started to realize there was a problem because we had systems and operations in place. So the success that you have when that's the case is really based on you. And I couldn't figure out what was making other offices very, very successful in recruiting and sales. But what I didn't know how to do is invest in people. So other offices would have sales teams twice as big as mine. I would train and just pour into people to the point where like we'd match sales with 
say two thirds of staff. Um, my production per rep was always higher than every other office because I genuinely cared about their success. And a lot of that was my feelings of abandonment and wanted to make sure they didn't feel that way. So my saving grace in essence was my biggest pitfall. I was dealing with the issues of abandonment. The success that I had came from the fact that I didn't want others to feel that way. Now, like, one thing I like that you talk about is, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, like I've had John Lee Dumas here on the show and, you know, his podcast gets a million downloads a month and he's generating over 150 grand a month just from podcast. And a lot of people that are in, in our industry, you know, they'll say, Oh, well he got lucky now, but when you read his books or when you take his seminars, it's all about his systems. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I think, you know, for me, you know, once I got thrown out of the military and I came back in, and I realized my way wasn't working anymore. Um, I had to see and start finding out what the successful people would do and start doing what they did because success leaves clues. And I think a lot of times people are just too proud or, you know, oh, well, I got this, you know, but they won't say, you know, hey, John Lee, I need help. Show me what you're doing so I can follow what you're doing and I can learn. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I think a lot of people, when they go in business, they're not very humble and they're not very teachable. And they go out of business very quick if they're not. Yeah. My, again, one of my mentors, John Wasserman, used to say, steal from the best with pride, but make sure to give them the credit for it. Yeah, always. Yep. And, you know, that's the thing is Napoleon Hill's book is what, almost 100 years old? Yeah. Right, right about. So like, the mistake a lot of people make is thinking that in the modern era, we're new, we're different. We're, you know, humans don't evolve that quickly. The lessons of the past are very valid. Now, the techniques involved, they need to be updated. You know, if you're using Windows 95, it's time for an upgrade. Yeah. But the core tenets of success, like you said, they leave clues and they're very consistent. And that's what I, you know, now I help people do is, like I, in my quote unquote day job, work with financial advisors and I've helped them generate millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars at this point in additional assets under management just by teaching them things like how to build a referral base, how to efficiently explain something in the language that your client understands. Helping to, instead of say, I help everybody, you know, I've got my series seven and I'm here to help everybody with everything. Well, that's fine. But who, who do you serve? Mm. Who do you want to work with? You know, and this might be an unpopular thing because everyone wants to mass market to everybody. But just to give an example, we have over 300 million people in America. Let's say you only wanted to work with guys or girls, your choice. That's 150 million people gone. Let's say you only wanted to work with people that believed Things that you do, country's about split in half, that's 75 million people gone. Let's say you only wanted to work with people, insert a thing and niche down. And what you'll find is once you know who you truly resonate with, there's going to be somebody there that's looking for somebody just like you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I help people do is, you know, not be a generalist. Like, let's actually focus in on the exact people you want to serve. Like one of my clients is actually out of my niche because um, he's not military, but he's very passionate about helping military. So he's he's my outlier, if you will. But that's that's okay because he's still serving the tribe. Yeah. Now, I want to help veteran business owners because you learn as much from failure as you do from success, sometimes even more because pain really does lock in those lessons. And that's what I want to do is help that next generation of veteran entrepreneur to become successful and learn from the pitfalls that, you know, we've gone through, you know, cause I mean, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2008. I think that was a great year for going into a company or starting a business. Nope. Really. That's when the whole economic downturn and they were laying off people and we had one of the biggest um, downturns in the stock market. So that, that was a shit show. 
Yeah. Well, what's funny about that. So I deployed in 07, but I'd run my own uh, office in 2006. And in the summer of 06, I did uh, $81,000 in business, which, you know, take home 10% of that. That's pretty good for like a summer job. In 08, I did 125 and won a trip to Cabo. In 09, I brought in to myself not so we did about 250 and I took in about 90 of that. In the worst time to be doing it, and in just a horrible frame, and just the hustle grind Gary Veeing before Gary V even got that wine store. Yeah, like I was trying to do that. In 2010, my summer results were 50 grand because I'd burned in fully and completely collapsed, was completely broke, had to move back in with my mom. 28 years old, that's not a really sexy thing. It's really not. Well, you know, and I think one thing that I'm learning, you know, like I said, I've had 360 episodes, whatever it is, and, you know... Only the last three months since I, I interviewed JLD and we talked on the phone and he's mentoring me, you know, he talks about, you know, when you're in business, if you're talking, you know, I think Jim Rohn said it, that if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. Yep. And, you know, like, like JLD talks about, you know, sometimes you have to go an inch wide, but a mile deep and mm-hmm. finding out who your perfect avatar is. Because, you know, it's kind of like in the military, you can either pray and spray or you can snipe. Mm-hmm. And being a sniper is usually always gets more kills than a pray and spray. So talk to us about niching down and finding our perfect avatar, because this way we're not spending all this money on marketing. And you're hitting grandma from Ohio and you're trying to hit a 25 year old veteran that's trying to start a digital company. And you're just wasting money and time. Yeah. So this is actually my list from the beginning of 2020 when I was making my transition from doing personal development consulting to business consulting. Again, it's hilarious to look at this because I didn't realize what I didn't know, but there's some consistent themes. And I did it the way that I'd read on the internet, you know, Typical client that I wanted to work with. It was a male between age 30 and 50, probably has gone through a divorce. They're a business owner or sales manager or somebody that's like a high earner, high stress job. You know, they use substances to numb themselves because I've been there. You know, they have to be making at least six figures because that's where you can make the most rapid shift. And, you know, new levels bring new devils. I knew those devils. You know, somebody that probably went through having divorced parents or faced abandonment issues for one reason or the another. They've experienced mental pain or like I took a fall in Iraq, so physical pain on a daily basis. And that really, you know, that does drag energy down. You know, there's someone that faces burnout and they've cycled through that on and off, you know, (laughs) has been rise or grind to failure. And they won't tell you, but they've probably wanted to end it all. If you listen to my podcast, I talk about that. Um, intentional disruption. You'll be on there too uh, when I launch that episode. But then I started to think about what I wanted them to have and being able to stabilize, get consistency, not only in income, but also in their relationships and their outlook. They wanted to be more optimistic. They want to feel more comfortable expressing love and gratitude. That was where I started with this. And I didn't even do the exercise right, it turns out. But that started to inform me on who can I serve? Yeah. Like, can I help everybody? Yeah. Like the reps that worked for me that launched out into running their own business, it was guys, it was girls. Like there was both sides of the political aisle. Like I had the ability to help everybody, but like who speaks to me the most? And, you know, helping those veteran-owned businesses, you know, that that spoke to me, you know, where can I make the most impact? Somebody that is generating a million dollars in revenue is a perfect one-to-one client for me because they have maybe not good processes in place, but they're established and are ready to make a pivot. They can invest in the 2.0 of their website and I can bring in my experts to help them with that. Like they're ready for that big push to 
multiples down the road. But like we talked about offline there, that doesn't mean that there's not a, a desire to help, you know, the startups like we talked about. And that's something that is in process right now. It's a collaboration between a couple of veterans in a couple of different parts of industry to come together and create a startup incubator for, you know, those sub million dollar uh, veteran businesses so that we can help them with what they need and give them a tribe to support them and then eventually transition to the one-on-one. And that's where the rocket ship really kicks in. You know, when my clients, like the one that I signed up um, just recently, we're going to do a 50% increase in business in 2022. And he had a very good year in 2021, but that's because he had some systems in place and he has some ability to reinvest in his business. Now, the wild thing is he's going to do 50% more business and I'm going to have him working significantly less hours. I'm going to have him actually going on weekly dates with his wife, weekly time spent specifically with his kids. So we're going to help not only get the business on point, but also make sure that the quality of life is there. Because you can have Elon Musk money, but if you're miserable, why? What are you doing? And I always believe that. And I say it all the time. You know, what good is it to have the house, the boats, the cars to go home, to sit at an empty table? Yeah. For me, it doesn't, you know, that's not success to me. But, you know, like what you're talking about, and I see it a lot in the veteran spaces, and we're both involved in a couple of groups. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they a lot of veterans won't think twice about buying a $1,200 iPhone. But if you ask to invest in a course, or if, if you talk about doing some, going to a, uh, a retreat, a business retreat, or finding a mentor or a coach, they're like, well, I can't afford it. What you know, but wait a minute, you just said you just bought a brand new iPhone, <laughs> but why not invest in a coach that can help you eventually get 10 iPhones if you want it? So, please talk about that uh, investing in yourself, investing in coaches, mentors, and you know, even you know, audible books. It doesn't have to be a lot, spend a lot of money, but a lot of people do not invest time in themselves and in their business. They're working in their business, but not uh-huh. on their business. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's wild. So I formed my official LLC this year um, because I was putting all this money into it. And I figured I might as well eventually be able to write some of it off for the love of God. <laughs> um, Connecticut's not a low tax state. So like, I was spending 20% of my post-tax income on personal development. You know, I have currently two coaches that I'm paying simultaneously. Um, one works on mindset and my physical body. He's very good. He's actually not too far from you, as a matter of fact. Um, the other one helps with scaling businesses, maximizing their multiple, and doing their exits. And that's, I mean, if you're not growing, you're dying. And it might not seem that way. It's kind of chill. But if you're not growing, you're not sustaining the organism and you're going to start to see things slip. Now, that being said, like for my business owners, my goal is to get them to the point where they can be absent from the business, go on vacation for a month and not even turn their phone on. Like we want the business to get to that point but there's a lot of work getting there and that's a couple years down the road for most people. But if that's where they want to be, like their business is so awesome that like they're happy to be there, but they're there because they want to be like operationally, everything's working the way it should be. I mean, that that's the goal. That's the goal for people. You know, and if they want to do an exit, you know, we help them go through that. But if they just want to have a business that's freaking awesome, they love being there, they love the people, they have the culture that they always wanted, but they can also go on a vacation for a month and not even think about it and still have revenue coming in, that's that's the goal. And you have to be able to 
you know, feed that beast. And that requires reading. Maybe not a lot. Like you don't have to be a big reader, but you know, like Andy Frisella, 75 hard. If you committed to 10 pages a day, you're going to put yourself in the top, what, 1%? Yeah. Well, you know, like um, yesterday, me and my wife are watching, you know, I don't watch the news at all, mostly just mm-hmm. for weather or whatever. Um, I don't deal in ne- negativity. And then you hear about this, whatever they call it, Recepticon virus, whatever it is. Um, yeah, Optimus Prime or whatever. Realizing, wow, I can still do what I'm doing. And I don't have to leave the house mm-hmm. and I can generate money when I'm sleeping, doing what I'm doing. But if it wasn't for, you know, taking courses by Gary Vaynerchuk, um, you know, Ed Milet, mm-hmm. ALD, I wouldn't be able to do what I do be- because I didn't put in the work. And a lot of people, like I said, you know, they don't, they don't want to, they think it's, it's costs a lot to you know to get edu- knowledge but you know audible is only 15 bucks a month you know so you know and something like that you can breeze through a hundred books in a year and it costs you 15 bucks a month so you just have to you know like i think tim was talking about that you know a lot of people think about something but they don't act upon it so, you know, you can think about having the greatest ideas in the world, but if you do not act upon them, you're never, you're never going to uh, get anywhere. You know, I'd actually argue uh, uh, the other side of the coin on this one, Rich. Um, so from my experience, not working on myself cost me my first business. It cost me a marriage. It cost me a credit score. <laughs> I mean, th- 10, 15 years of accumulated growth of assets. I'd argue that the cost of staying stagnant is significantly higher than the cost of investment. Um, you know, if, like you said uh, before the show started, you know, 100% of nothing is still nothing. But if you have to put in, you know, 20 grand to get 100 grand, that that's a solid investment. And like I started doing that when I had $5,000 in my account and I paid for a $3,000 in-person course plus airfare and parking. So I was about $4,000 in, it was $1,000 to my name and it was the best money I've ever spent. Yeah, man. You know, like for me, you know, having my show, um, who would ever think that I would be able to have people like yourself um, Steve Sims on, you know, seven, eight, nine figure earners come on the show and I can ask them whatever I want. And I'm getting a PhD in business just by having the show. So for me, I started a platform and, you know, I'm reaping the benefits, but it's taking, you know, a lot of people want to start a podcast, but they don't realize it takes work, mm-hmm. you know, and the average podcast lasts 13 episodes and then it's done. Kaput. So even if you hit 14 episodes, you're you're in the top 10%. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, I just got to put in the work. You know, like, like even like Andy talks about, you got to put in the reps. If you don't put in the reps, you're never you're never going to get anywhere if you don't put the reps in. Yeah, it's wild. Um so my son was born uh 18 months ago and that's about when I stopped my podcast originally. It's also when I started making the pivot from, you know, biz, not business owners, but like individuals over to the business owner community. And like, even in the 38 episodes that I have there, like one to the last one is such a fantastic difference. Um, you know, and I, like we said, I've got four in the hopper now. I'll have probably six by the end of the weekend. And yeah, it's just about doing it. And some of my episodes are literally me walking in the woods with my lapel mic and there's background noise, but the epiphanies that you receive when you manifest it out one into a recording two sharing it into the world, you know, even if only a couple thousand people heard that it's impactful and you, you, you just don't know who you're going to help because 
that person that runs a $5 million business right now and has the fancy car, has a wife and all that, they could be so miserable and stressed out that they're ready to blow their brains out. And for if, me, I get a lot of, because, you know, I, as in a podcasting, you know, we, some of us do a lot of editing. I'm not a big editing guy, but you know, I listen to every episode while I'm doing my write-ups and I'm, I'm getting taught a second time. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning a lot more, you know, just by listening back to all the episodes. So now talk to us about your podcast, talk to us about your coaching and what you're doing now and how we can support your mission. So intentional disruption, uh, I started it back in 2019. Uh, it's relaunching for the new year as a weekly podcast. And like, I like to listen to Andy, um, you know, ironically enough, uh, the drinking bros podcast saved my life. It also somehow introduced me to the podcast for my personal development coach that I've had for three years. So I, I have a very soft spot for podcasts having been an Android guy and not having iTunes and all that stuff. Like it took me a little bit longer to find that, but intentional disruption is quick hitters. It's designed for when we did commute to the office, you're going to be able to get at least one episode in and it's lessons that I've learned from helping. I mean, anything from financial advisors that manage a billion dollars to at the end, like something my son did and teaching you how these little things can make an impact in your business, in your personal life. You know, cause the mistake a lot of people make is there's the office and then there's the house. You're the same person in both universes. So you need to be able to understand that they impact each other mm-hmm. and have the skills to really drive forward. So that's what I'm doing on that one. Um, there's going to be a good blend of interviews kind of like we did. Uh, there's going to be, quick hits, tips. There's going to be some bonus episodes to throw in there, but it's really, you know, no, no sponsors. Um, I highlight in the new episodes, a veteran nonprofit each time. You know, I'm not looking to make money off of that podcast, but that's what I'm doing there. My LLC is the Delta Enhancement Group. Uh, Delta Enhancement, the Delta is the difference between one point to the other for the people that aren't financial geeks like me. But with that, that's where I'm helping business owners take control. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that my grandpa had six brothers and they all own their own businesses. Not one of them made it to the second generation. The reason it didn't make it to the second generation is they were just figuring it out. They were experts at their craft, but nobody had shown them the systems, the operations, the things that you do to create the culture, the standards, and have your business be able to operate even when you're not there. You know, especially with all this COVID stuff, the biggest crime, in my opinion, is what it's done to small business owners. We're, and if you're not in the financial side of the house, you might not have seen it, but we're facing the biggest lack of generational wealth transfer, especially in minority communities and low income communities, which by the way is where I started out, they're being wiped out. Like the way that you made your nut was a lot of times taking over mom or dad's business and being the next generation business owner. That's gone. Like those shop owners are gone. Those small service providers, they're gone. So the ones that are left, it's almost an obligation to help them be successful. And that's why I'm doing it. Like we talked about how I used to train, you know, sales reps. I used to train my Marines. And the reason that I've always been successful at that is because I care. I actually told one of my clients when we were discussing what the figure is going to be uh, profit share wise to work with me. Like there's people that are going to charge you X. I'm here because I believe in your mission and I want you to be successful because I know how you're going to help my community. You're not going to get that at McKinsey and company. You're just not. So then how do we, how, if there's a business owner out there, um, either, you know, over a million or under a million, how do they hire you? How do they work with you? Is there a certain group that you have? Is there a mastermind? What is it? So the mastermind's in process, uh, Q1, I'm going to have the mastermind for, um, the upstart businesses, uh, 
towards the end of the year, there's going to be one for some higher levels as well. Uh, if you're looking to work with me right now, just reach out to me on LinkedIn, Mike Demo, D-E-M-O. It's really simple to find me there. Uh, MichaelDemo.com is the website. It's basic WordPress. It's nothing fancy, but it does have my calendar link. So you can schedule a half hour call with me. Um, I mean, I'm the lowest pressure salesperson ever. Like I've, I was a used car salesman for a while and everyone jokes about that, but I had a ridiculously good closing ratio because this is, this is me being high stress. And, you know, when I tell somebody that's looking to buy a car from me, look, I want to help you find the car that fits your needs, your budget, and your style. If we've got something like that here, I'm happy to help you get it today. And in my Calendly invite, you know, you probably saw it when you signed up for our podcast. Like, look, I'm not here to sell you anything. If I have to make a sales pitch to you, I don't want to work with you. You probably don't want to work with me. And that that's totally cool. There's 300 million people. You'll find somebody great that's going to help you do exactly what you want to do. The one thing that I tell people, though, is, don't be afraid to take the first step because if I can't help you, I'm going to recommend you to somebody that can. I'm the same way. I, I live my life the same way. So the last question I have, um, you know, obviously, you know, we live on the East coast mm -hmm. and uh, our governors are not exactly. Uh, well, I'll put it this way. I see our, our governor putting us back on lockdown again because of this new variant. So, you know, in New Jersey, like you said, you know, a lot of companies went out of business. So you got people, you know, parents driving DoorDash, Uber, mm -hmm. just to put food in their kids' mouths. So if I ask the average person in America to do something in seven days, they'll probably never get to it. But if I ask somebody that's listening to this episode right now to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So I'm going to ask you a two-pronged question. Okay. If somebody's struggling with their business or their mental health, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? Without talking about other resources, my immediate answer, and this might be me specific, is put your phone away go take a walk in nature for an hour, reconnect, let everything else turn off. You know, we're overstimulated as it is. So go somewhere quiet. Um, you know, meditation isn't for everybody because people think it's kind of woo woo. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but mindfulness, it does help. Uh, box breathing. You can look up Winhoff, W-I-M-H-O-F. He's got a ton of great resources for that. But similar to that moment that I had out in the field in Arizona where that major pulled me back and just had me step back for a second. That's, that's what you need to do is just take a minute, reassess what's important, what's urgent, and then start to make your battle plan. That, you know, and, and I, you're the second person that I've talked to in the last two days that said, sometimes you just have to maybe walk, you know, go to the beach, take your socks off and just get touch nature. Just mm -hmm. get back to nature, even just a little bit, because it seems that, you know, once you, like you said, walk in, in, in a, in a forest or walk on the beach, touching sand, touching the trees, something changes in us. It kind of calms, you know, calms the, uh, the soul in a way. So brother, I just want to say thank you. Um, I'm so grateful for our friendship and you've been a, um, a light in my life. And I just wanted to say thank you for your friendship and, and everything you've done for me so far. And you've done things for me that you don't even know yet, but um, I just want to say thank you. And you're a truly amazing individual. Now, thank you, brother. It's been a pleasure. All right, guys. So remember tech, check out Mike Demo, make sure you check him out on LinkedIn He's got a lot of great stuff. He, he puts out some amazing posts. So, guys, if you want to change your life, just make that decision because today I decide you can decide to change your life in one instance. All right, guys, remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is but up. Love you guys. Catch you on the flip.
Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.